When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Made by Women, a new podcast by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. At a moment when businesses face some of the biggest challenges in recent history, we bring you inspiring stories practical insights, and shared learnings to help you successfully navigate in today's environment. Every Thursday, Made by Women will showcase the experiences of legendary women entrepreneurs, fierce up-and-comers, and everyday women who found success their own way. Consider this your real-world MBA, designed for the new now. I'm Kim Azzarelli, and thanks so much for joining us today. If you've ever worried about finding care for a child or an elderly relative, Sheila Marcello knows what you're going through, and she created a solution. And if you're a woman who wants to rise in her career, Sheila has the tools and guidance for you. I'm Milan Verveer, and I'm talking today to Sheila Marcello, the visionary entrepreneur who founded Care.com the world's largest online destination for finding and managing family care. Sheila is also the co-founder of Landit, a career platform focused on women. Both companies combine her passion for technology with solutions to very contemporary problems. Success might seem a foregone conclusion for Sheila. After all, In 2014, she became the youngest ever person to receive the Alumni Achievement Award from Harvard Business School. And just a few years later, Care.com was acquired by IAC for $500 million. But every business journey has its challenges and lessons. Let's get some insights now from Sheila Marcello. 
Sheila, it is such a pleasure to uh, have you with us today. So excited. You are truly uh, an extraordinary entrepreneur, and we want to talk about how that came to be uh, and all of the things that you've learned along the way that you can impart to our wonderful audience. You have created, founded, co-founded several successful companies, including Care.com to help people find elder care and child care, and Landit to help women advance in their careers. Both are critically needed helps today, and you have two companies that you've been intimately involved in responding to those needs. What has it been in your personal background that enabled you to contribute to the kind of success uh, that you have had as an entrepreneur? Thanks, Milan. I'm so excited to be here. As you know, you've known me for a long time. I was born and raised in the Philippines. And um, interestingly, I have what I call a tiger mom, very proudly, and a teddy bear dad. So sort of the counter stereotypes. But what makes it so unique is that the Philippines, as you know, uh, you and I have been very involved in helping the World Economic Forum with their gender reports, that the Philippines is one of the top 10 countries in the world with the narrowest gender gap. It's unique for an Asian country. And so my parents always allowed my sister and I, and I have four other brothers along with my sister, to pursue our passions. There was never a sense of stereotypes. I remember um, as a young girl, my father was teaching me math two grades earlier than my older brothers. And we were doing the same math class because he just believed in us and was always encouraging. And my father even taught me to read early at a very young age and had me read in front of friends and guests. So it was always sort of highly encouraged to pursue education and our passions. The second thing I think my parents imparted in me was they're very entrepreneurial. Uh, we owned a trucking company. Uh, we distributed sugar, grew coconuts, uh, had rice mills, you name it, duck farms, mangoes, bananas. <laughs> and so through, through our lives growing up, my parents never wanted us to be entrepreneurs. It was a hard life. So uh, six kids, everybody had designated professions. There was going to be a doctor, a dentist, an accountant, an engineer, a lawyer. You know, my younger brother got scot-free of whatever he wanted to do. But I was the designated lawyer. And interestingly enough, um, out of undergrad, I got into Harvard Law School. I actually paused it for a little bit, and I didn't want to disappoint my parents, but I fell in love with business. And amongst everyone in my family, I ended up becoming the entrepreneur. <laughs> and the reason for that, Milan, was because I started teaching at HBS, and I got introduced to grading internet business plans. And I decided that, like, this is really interesting. And, and it, could create impact in the world. Because the last sort of thing around what my parents taught me was, um, you know, the mo one of the most memorable experiences I had in my life was we had went back and forth between the United States and, and the Philippines because my parents were entrepreneurs. And so in fifth grade, they sent me back to a provincial school in the Philippines because I had forgotten this, the language. And, and I remember how hard that was. They made us stand up and read in Tagalog. And I was embarrassed, and but but we also learned a lot of different things. Uh, we cleaned the classroom floors with our hands. We would get down on our hands and knees and scrub it with the husk of a coconut. I'm really good at cleaning floors today. It's a really good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but they really exposed us to hard work, 
and a sense of humility and probably something my friend Brian Stevenson always emphasizes, which is proximity. That at a young age, inclusiveness was really important for my family and a life dedicated to impact. And so I would say that combination of that unique experience growing up in the Philippines, being exposed to the province, and just having this sort of tenacity and grit that my parents had as entrepreneurs, I think really has been indelible in my life. Uh, you know, it's such a, an interesting story of one person's uh, ascent in many ways. And while you didn't become that lawyer they had hoped you'd become, uh, you certainly <laughs> became an extraordinarily successful uh, businesswoman. And it's fascinating to hear how these very fundamental lessons, uh, like those you just conveyed that you inherited from your parents, uh, have had this lasting impact on you. So let's fast forward just a tiny bit uh, from those years uh, to your starting care.com. Uh, you did that in 2006. And I wonder, where did the idea come from? Because what you undertook was something truly exceptional, I think. And it was seeing a need and responding to that need through technology. What did it take to get there? How did care.com work? What steps did you take to create just an enormous business? You know, I, I wish that I, I had the vision and the roadmap at a young age. I knew that I was going to build care. But actually, what ended up happening is I got pregnant in college. I wanted to be an investment banker and a consultant. And my parents were really uh, pushing, of course, to be a lawyer. Um, and after business school, um, I started to realize that, in, you know, grading internet business plans, there was something about the power of the internet to help people. And here I was as a young mother going through undergrad, um, my jobs between undergrad and grad school through my career, and then grad school when I did my JD MBA at Harvard, we struggled. We struggled with care. And fast forward, when I graduated from HBS and decided after my teaching stint there that I wanted to go join an internet company, I begged my parents to come from the Philippines to actually uh, care for our youngest son, Adam. And as he was going up the stairs, my dad uh, was caring for my son that afternoon. I got a call from my mother, frantic at work, that my, my father had fell backwards mm. um, holding the baby because he had had a heart mm. attack. And so I think this combination of being sandwiched in our space, that's being sandwiched between childcare and senior care at such a young age at 29, made me start to realize that I wasn't alone in all of this. There's so many other millions of families and especially women that are impacted. And I remember I was working in a technology company and yet I was using the yellow pages, I'm dating myself, to look for care. Because there weren't a lot of other solutions. Um, and back then, classifieds were going out of business. Craigslist was just beginning and it wasn't really reliable. You weren't going to go there to look for care. And oh, yes, church and the YMCA or the local swimming pool, I could put up an eight and a half by 11 and have those little tag ear things that you could peel off. I mean, they're just so technology I saw had a real potential. Because I was working for a company that was helping families save money for college called You Promise. And so it was a great training ground for me to understand. But the real personal pain point that I went through was something that really inspired me to say, I'm not alone in all of this. And as I said, many women are impacted. In fact, my dear friend, Ai Jin Poo, who you know mm -hmm. well, 
you know, has been fighting for domestic workers. And she often says that care is what makes all other work possible because it is the underpinning. It's just like roads and bridges. You know, you have to invest in that infrastructure to help women work because the challenges are care costs is high. Caregivers, a majority of which are women, 90%, you know, the average pay $11 an hour. I mean, whereas golf caddies are what, making $15, $25 an hour? Just doesn't kind of add up. And then there are these care deserts. There's just not even enough spots for kids around the country for care, for women to pursue work. And then I haven't even layered in senior care. So all of that I call, I consider sort of the economic side of care as opposed to the soft love tendency of how people uh, call the industry that we're in don't really understand that this is actually one of the critical issues and, and drives sort of the problems around an economic crisis if you're not investing in this infrastructure. So you would ask me, what does care.com do today? You know, it's basically simple. It's matching families with caregivers. Majority of the platform are moms and caregivers are also women. So it's actually really serving women. But ultimately, it's about servicing families and caregivers. Before I left in February, we had more than 30 million members in over 20 countries. So the way to think about that is every three minutes, a family finds care on the platform and a caregiver finds a job. Well, you know, you not only created a solution, but you've just made the most compelling case uh, for why we need to address the whole issue of affordable, uh, available, and quality uh, health care that people can count on, and increasingly elder care, uh, which we know is another huge imperative for our society. So you came up with this very innovative solution, but we know building a company is accompanied with a lot of struggle. So tell us, what was it like? What was the hardest part in those early days? And what did you do to get strength so that you could keep going? I think the full journey, though I very much enjoyed it and learned, was difficult. It's exactly what you're asking me, Milan. I'd say in the early days, even at the start of the company, I was worried about how I was going to be perceived. I had my JD MBA at Harvard. Here I was going to run a good friend of mine who was in an investment bank when I went to get advice from her said, you're going to run a babysitting company with your experience. And I was so insecure about running a company focused on women that I was really worried that men weren't going to take me seriously. And a very a male mentor came up to me and took me out to lunch and said, are you in the pain business or are you the pleasure business? I didn't really know what that meant, but what he was really pushing me to really think about Milan is how do you stay true to yourself? A pain business is, look, you like to solve consumer problems. Saving for college is not that fun, right? And, and after you left, uh, you promise you went to help, help at the ladders to help people find jobs. That wasn't fun either, right? But that's what you're passionate about. Because at the time I was weighing running a mobile company sort of in the entertainment space. And, and that real advice I took home, I slept on, I woke up the next day, I was like, I have to stay true to myself. So I think the beginning, many young founders, when they're starting companies, there's this insecurity that sets in around how you're perceived or gaining a sense of confidence to be true to who you are. So I, that definitely was there in the beginning. And then as we were scaling care, 
some people said, well, why wasn't this a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. And because somehow what was wrong with, with a, you know, pursuing profitability with a comparable goal of social good. And I started to realize part of my role wasn't just the mission of care. It was breaking the mold that this was doable as a public company, that we could scale this as a solution and that you could have a double bottom line. You know, we call those B Corps now, but this was before they were around. We were starting care.com. So it's an interesting sort of push that you had to do to just prove to people that, yes, you know, this is possible. And, and more and more, I, I try to spend time with social entrepreneurs. And then even, I, I know you asked me the question, you know, like in the early days, what was surprising to me, Milan, is that the challenge of, the, of convincing the perception of men to realize the opportunity of investing in female-focused businesses not only started throughout all my fundraising of the 100 million private, 150 million public, was even when we were public, we were running into issues. I remember an analyst taking me aside on my non-deal roadshow preparing to go public and said to me, you know, you're going to run into problems. This is a male analyst, one of the top ones in Wall Street. And I said, why? He said, because there's a fundamental dilemma that male analysts won't understand the product because they, they don't ultimately use it. So interestingly enough, the profile when Open Table came out is similar to yours, except they go to restaurants. They know how to book that stuff. It matters to them. But many young male analysts don't have children, aren't worried about their parents. They don't even have likely dogs or plants because they're committed to their jobs. Right. So you're going to have to figure out how do you make this issue proximate to who you're selling it to? And so those challenges were with me all the way through till the very end, in fact. And it's a very interesting thing. And, the, and, and I know that, that we've got to change that. We've got to figure out ways in which men become more proximate to the issues that women face. Well, you know, I, I think maybe COVID has changed that a little bit. It may be one of the uh, bright lights out of it, if I can say that about a pandemic, because we're certainly much more aware today of um, just how difficult it is to juggle all of this. Um, and many of the the men who are aware of these challenges are seeing it in a very proximate way, I dare say. I completely agree. But, you know, it's so interesting to listen to you because you're right. You, you anticipate that these struggles are going to come early on. Uh, but as you so well said in your experience, these stay with you. As an entrepreneur, you're always thinking of that next challenge, that next piece. What else do you have to do to overcome and thrive? But Care.com did thrive. It was thriving, continues, obviously. And you started another company. Land it. So, how did that come about? And how did you juggle both companies? You know, it's really interesting. I, care.com, launched a product uh, called Care at Work. Uh, I would say it was probably year four uh, of our 13 year stint on, at that company. And Care at Work was providing benefits for employees. And I would meet with CHROs and CEOs and CFOs, and often they would say, we love care as a solution for our employees to make sure that they show up at work and they can be present at work. 
Uh, but we really have a problem with the pipeline of women. We start off 50-50 when they're young. And then, of course, when, you know, when they're in the corner office, it's getting into the single digit percentage. And I said, wow, that's, that's a real problem. We know it, but that's a different business from care.com because they were asking me, you know, should you launch a different product? I had the fortunate experience that I joined an Aspen Crown Fellowship class and it and allowed me to really search and go deeper around impact. And it happened that in my class, my HBS classmate uh, from business school, uh, Lisa Skeet Tatum, was also in my Crown Fellowship class. And she had been contemplating the same issues about the pipeline problem. The third thing that happened is Milan also was in my life, <laughs> who I remember telling me, who said to me, the care issue is such a big issue to help women focus on it. So the way to do that, it allowed me to focus on it is really work with Lisa, where she became, you know, my co-founder on Landit and it has just been incredible at really pursuing the shared mission and vision we had. So we came together to found the company. And it's allowed both of us, by the way, we're, we're both women that integrate our work and life together. We both juggle running companies. We trade a lot of notes. We're there for each other. We support each other. And so I, I found this such an incredible satisfaction of being a board member and a founder of something I saw that other female founders unleashing their own potential could pursue their passion. And, and I can impart the journey that I've been on on CARE to how to scale those platforms so they themselves can make a big impact as well. It's something that's so near and dear to me around working with female founders and uh, Landed has just been such a joy. And I'm just thrilled that, that Lisa is making such this huge impact in the world that she really wanted to. Well, that's terrific. And, you know, I know personally just how much you care about uh, women developing uh, their leadership skills and going on to enjoying great success that is commensurate with the potential of so many. So you left CARE uh, in 2019, and you are, by any account, uh, a force of nature. So <laughs> what is Sheila focusing on now? Um, I would say certainly adhering to quarantine. And I, I had planned a travel sabbatical, but I've been doing a, my quarantine sabbatical. But my my kids tease me that it's not really sabbatical because now I'm uh, launching a couple of ventures <laughs> with uh, no a surprise few, <laughs> with a few female founders um, to continue again to unleash their power. Uh, I'm super excited. One of them is focused on girls, and I'm just excited to build new companies built by amazing female founders. And by the way, that includes for profit and not for profit. Because I think impact can be achieved in many different ways. And, and my goal is how can I help in any way to scale uh, that, that what is in the hearts of other people to help people. Um, and then specifically one nonprofit I'm super proud to be helping right now is Him for Her by Jocelyn Mangan. Um, and it's uh, putting women on boards. Uh, so it's something I'm super excited about to continue to support her. Uh, some of the companies are still stealth, but uh, should be announced within the year. Well, it sounds terrific. We'll all be uh, awaiting those announcements with eager anticipation. I had mentioned earlier um, 
COVID, uh, and you just talked about how you're abiding by all the protocols and staying uh, on the ground, which is rare, rare for you. So how has it affected your work otherwise? Has it brought on any particular challenges? Uh, have you had to make any major pivots outside of what you described in terms of really not doing all of that extensive travel that you had anticipated in this period? But you've put it to good use, it sounds like. Yeah, certainly going from uh, a 24-7 job running a public company to then, you know, reducing travel and the hours and all the inbound requests of my time. I've had a real opportunity to do a lot of meditation, yoga, just a a self-awareness time for myself. Just been a gift. I haven't had this in over 20 years because I've just been running and gunning. But what's interesting about COVID, there's certainly been silver linings, is that it's also, as you pointed out, it's allowed a lot of people to open their eyes that the juggle is really hard. And I'm seeing with a lot of my Zoom calls and also my male friends sharing with me that they're now at the front seat to see this juggle of work-life balance. I used to have to hit people over the head to tell them that care was really important. They're realizing that it is definitely essential work. Uh, the corner office is seeing it a lot too. Um, so this proximity that you described earlier, I believe it's a real silver lining in the care industry. And it's one of the nonprofits that I founded and ran. And I do want to thank IAC for helping seed that with me as a way that they honored my founding of care.com. IAC bought care.com earlier this year, as you know, is that the Care Institute is really focused around how do we influence the specific issue right now because it is top of mind for people? How do we use this moment because care is top of mind, because we really can help women? At the same time that I'm working on that nonprofit, it's really to train caregivers, I also see this huge need for Landit. Lisa and I are all over that. Um, And Landit, not only to help women, but especially also people of color with everything that's happening in the world, especially with uh, post-George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. So I think there are silver linings in difficulty and challenges and really finding ways how we can make a broader impact. So terrific to hear. I want to ask you one final question because I think your role in um, the the tech field really is still fairly unique for women. We know that women in technology have faced, continue to face so many challenges, yet your companies have been technology-based, and I think that's been part of the success and visionary in many, many ways. How can we, Sheila, get more women in technology? to succeed in the field and overcome some of the constraints that are strewn in their paths? It's definitely something in my 90s that I want to make sure is, <laughs> is completely different from what we have now. Listen, I, as you've heard often, the answer is having more female VCs. It's, it's just, it's so upsetting that in the top 100 firms, we're still seeing 8% of partners are women. It results in these blind spots because, you know, it, I don't know why in this day and age we have to still convince people that gender inclusivity has a positive economic ROI, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's just shocking. You know, we have this rule in a consumer business that ultimately when you're designing a product, you have to be open with 
the design of it because you have to be objective and data-driven because ultimately you're designing something probably not for you. Um, and so I'm always, you know, perplexed when I talk to my male VC friends to say, you know, it should be the same when you invest. It shouldn't be about something that you have to fully understand you as a consumer to understand the economic opportunity. So it's a really interesting thing. And so, and then the other thing is advice that I have for female entrepreneurs. It's really important. First, I, look, we've heard it from, from so many other amazing women. So I'm not, I'm not first to say, believe in yourself and make sure you have a voice at the table. One of the things I did early is invest in my own self-awareness in that journey. I continue to do that with meditation. I'm working on being balanced as a corporate athlete uh, with my health, especially now as I'm entering into my menopausal age. It's really important to get that energy level right. Um, the challenges you will face. I wanted to uh, share one of this one of these last few stories with you. I remember we were we were traveling around again for a non-deal roadshow for IPO, and we flew into this. Um, private airport and and it, they're just back to back meetings, Milan. So I run to the bathroom. So I'm a little late for the meeting, and because we didn't have a, enough sleep, I go into the room and I pour myself a cup of coffee in the conference room with investors. And of course, I offer everybody coffee because I feel like I was raised well. That's my you know my mom and dad would say that's what you should be doing. And so of course, when the handshakes came around, they you know my CTO. Um, shook his hand, male CTO, our CFO shook his hand. They got to me and they said, you must be the assistant from the bank. And I politely said, no, I'm Sheila Lirio Marcello. Very nice to meet you. I'm founder, chairwoman, and CEO of care.com. And, and then we proceeded with the meeting. I didn't miss a beat. I decided I wasn't going to salt the wound. I think they felt embarrassed enough as it is. I decided in those instances and in these moments I have, and I've gone so many stories like this, I just take the high road because my hope is that they were impressed. I believe they did invest in the IPO. And I, my hope is that they themselves become better at addressing this unconscious bias by seeing the role modeling that hopefully the next woman that's in front of them, they're not going to assume she's the assistant from the bank. Right. I just, I just think I'm, I'm advising women that they will face these challenges. And so they need to think about what role are you playing as a role model for the next woman this happens to? That's sort of the way that I think about things. How can I make an impact, um, paying it forward the next time around? And lastly, this is very specific to female entrepreneurs because you asked me, how do we get more women in tech? I often advise female entrepreneurs always be pitching for your next round. What do I mean by that? If you're raising a seed round, make sure the quality of your deck, it's as if you're raising for an A round. If you're raising for an A round, make sure the quality of your deck is raising for a B round. Why? Because the bar is high. Beat it, delight them, surprise them, you know, beat out that unconscious bias. That's what we need to be doing. And be confident in what, what you're doing, believe in it, stay true to who you are, and pursue what's in your heart. Oh, Sheila, this has been just such a great conversation, and I am so grateful 
as I know our audience is, for all of the good advice you convey today, for your contributions from your businesses, because they have indeed created great social value. And I think you're right. I think care today is top of mind. At least we can hope that it's top of mind and we do more to understand why it's such a critical issue. So grateful to hear how you continue to use your power for purpose and much success. And we will look forward to all of those exciting announcements that are coming in the future. Thank you, Sheila Marcello, so much. Thanks, Milan. What an inspiring conversation. Sheila has so many lessons we can learn from. Here are three things that particularly stuck with me. First, Even today, women entrepreneurs often have to persuade male investors that women-focused projects are worthwhile. But when you persist, as Sheila did, you can build a business that makes a real difference in the world. Second, no matter the industry, it's important to remember that many so-called women's issues, such as childcare, are really everyone's issues and they can have a ripple effect throughout the economy. And finally, pursue what matters. Imagine the incredible things you can accomplish when you have a life dedicated to purpose. See you next week. Made by Women is brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.